couple things I want to mention. This is kind of short notice, but um, we have an opportunity next week to, uh, for you to hear from one of our possible uh, missionaries that we might possibly support. Matt and Trista Deaver are a young couple uh, about my age that are uh, going to head to Nepal to be full-time missionaries. So next week, right after the service, we're going to have a lunch together, okay? And we would just encourage as many of you as possible to stay for that and hear their presentation over lunch. Uh, he'll make a short announcement during the, the message just to whet your appetite, and then we'll, we'll have lunch together, okay? So this is twofold. It gives us an opportunity to come together like we talked about last week and just spend time together after church, right? Um, and then we also get to hear uh, this presentation. You're just going to be uh, super encouraged by that. But we need all of you to bring a, a, a side dish and a dessert, all right? We'll take care of the main dish, side dish, and dessert to share with everybody. All right, and then I also want to remind you, um, of the I Am They concert coming up. We're super excited about that. We're teaming up with uh, Walnut Creek Church to, to bring them here. And I, I thought this was cool. If you read the little the flyer that's out there, I Am They. Uh, you're, you're all probably, that. what in the world does that mean? Um, I encourage you to pick up a flyer and read what I Am They means. I'm not going to tell you because I want you to get a flyer. Okay? So get a flyer and give as many to all your friends as you can. All right? We're going to uh, continue in worship together now, but I just want to pray and take a moment just to rest and be in silence and in the craziness of whatever life is right now. And if it's joyful, if it's sorrowful, if it's hard, if it's easy, whatever it is, we want to worship God in the midst of it. And worshiping God brings everything into perspective. So just take a moment to breathe in his presence, uh, acknowledge that you're here with him, that he's here with us. Um, and then we're going to worship together and the offering is going to come around during this song. So just breathe for a moment in the presence of God. I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And I want you to watch this video to honor you. So go ahead and watch the screen. Hey, Dad. What was Grandpa like whenever you were my age? I don't know. He's like a dad. Did Grandpa make you listen to this terrible music? You mean, did he culture me? You bet he did. Did Grandpa get lost too? Sometimes. We're not lost. Recalculating route to your destination, you will arrive in approximately two days, three hours of... What's your license insurance? Did, uh, Grandpa have a lead foot, too? Amen. <laughs> Grandpa teach you to pray before every meal like that? for every meal. Did Grandpa do that too? Yeah.
really are a lot like him, aren't you? I hope I'm like you whenever I grow up. What's with all the lollygagging? I'm not paying you guys to sit around and look at pictures. Chop, chop! My stuff's not gonna get to a condo on the golf course by itself. Has Grandpa always been so... bossy? Always. Is he actually banging us? Not a chance. <laughs> you really are a lot like him, aren't you? Everybody give a big hand for all the fathers in the room. I was telling somebody that I usually just forget about Father's Day because first of all, for me, it's always on camp day, so it gets overshadowed by camp. And then if I forget Mother's Day, I'll hear about it. If I forget Father's Day, nobody really cares. So it's kind of, but you get the point of that video. I love it. Now I'm going to show you one more picture, another picture here. This happened this week here. Uh, that's a picture of Camp Vera. So I want uh, everyone just to put their hands together for everyone that was involved in Camp Vera making that happen. Um, it was a great thing. It's a great thing. Loved it. Loved it. Next thing I want to talk about before we dig into the message is uh, about our baptism coming up on July 26th. Okay? In Acts 8, there's a story about uh, a follower of Jesus named Philip. Okay? And Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to go over and stand by this chariot. And in the chariot was an Ethiopian eunuch. And that eunuch was actually reading from the book of Isaiah. He was re reading, led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before his shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And, the, and Philip went and asked him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, no, how am I supposed to understand unless someone explains it to me, right? And so Philip got up there with him and he explained all about Jesus and the gospel, starting with that passage, all about Jesus. And what happened was the, the eunuch came to Jesus, repented of his sins, and then he looked over and he saw that there was a body of water there and he said, there's water here, why shouldn't I get baptized? And so Philip got down with the eunuch and baptized him, right? And then in Acts chapter 2, 37 to 38, says this, now when they had heard this, this was Jesus already ascended up into heaven, okay, and the gift from the Father, the Holy Spirit, had been sent uh, to the disciples. And so this is Peter preaching after, after that had happened on the day of Pentecost. It says, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's two things. Repent, okay, first that in involves believe in Jesus for salvation, acknowledging your sin, acknowledging that you can't save yourself from it, and then turning away from it. And then, number two, be baptized, okay? Here's what we don't believe. We don't believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven, okay? Because there's other parts in the Bible that say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Right? It's all it takes is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we do think about baptism is it always went 
right along with belief. There wasn't, I don't, Jesus did not mean for there to be this big gap between when we say, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I believe in you for my salvation, and there's this huge gap. And we, we somehow think that we have to have everything right. I need to know more, I need to do more, I need to get more right. No, there wasn't that, there was this belief and then be baptized. Believe and be baptized. And baptism was the first act of obedience for someone who came to belief, right? And so, if you're a believer saved by the blood of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I ask, in a couple weeks, there's going to be water. There's not that water there right now. Or we could do it right now, but there's just not filled up. It would take like three, it takes like a long time to fill that thing up. And so... Um, but we are going to have one, so I, I would just ask, why wait? Because we say we believe, and there's not meant to be this gap between saying we believe and being willing and ready to proclaim that publicly with this symbol of baptism. It's a symbol. This is why we do full immersion baptism. It's a symbol of identifying with Jesus, with his death, burial, and resurrection, okay, rising to life with Jesus Christ. And so by being baptized, we're saying, Jesus, I'm willing to tell the world about it, really. And there's not meant to be that gap there. So if you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to be baptized if you're a believer. Come talk to me after this. If you've got questions about baptism as an infant, all that, and you don't know what to do if you're baptized as an infant and you just don't know what to do at this point, come talk to me about that also. Okay, and we'll just, we'll get it done. We're excited about that. The last thing I want to mention before we dive in is that... We really truly believe nothing significant happens without faith. Nothing significant is going to happen unless we get before our Father in heaven and pray. Okay? And so we really believe in the power of prayer. We really believe that God wants to set you free from something this morning. We really believe that there is hurt in the room, that there is suffering in the room, but there's also praise, there's also joy, there's also things to be happy about. And so in the midst of that, we're going to talk about this in a little while in the message, but in the midst of all that, what do we do? We worship. In the midst of pain, we worship. In the midst of suffering, we worship. In the midst of joy, we worship. We praise, right? And that's what prayer is. It's essentially coming to God with our heart and pouring it out to him. Okay, so if you need to, you can. Pray. You don't have to go to the prayer room to pray because that's not just, it's not a holy room. This is not a holy building. You can pray wherever you want. But if at any time during the service, we don't care. You can just get up and go out the back here and then take a left and there's a room in the corner there. If you just need to be by yourself to pray and cry out to God, if you're hurting right now, do that. If you just want to go back there and cry out to God and praise him, do that. If you want to grab somebody and bring them with you, do that. There's going to be people in that room. There's already people in that room that want to pray with you. Okay, so you can go be prayed for. Just want to tell you about that. It's going to be that way every week, and we want to encourage you to do that. Okay? To start us off, I want, you to sh I want to show you a clip from the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. So watch this. I thought I'd uh, wear a shirt today, um, you know, being the last day and all. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. But um, wear one tomorrow, though, okay? Because tomorrow's going to be your first day. If you'd like to work here as a broker. Would you like that, Chris? Yes, sir. Good. We couldn't be happier. So 
Welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no, sir, it wasn't. Good luck, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Chris. I almost forgot. Thank you. a good movie, by the way, The Pursuit of Happiness. You should watch it if you haven't watched it yet. But that's also the, the message of the world, right? That that's what we should aspire to, personal happiness found in job, success, personal success, right? I heard a uh, sermon clip one time recently, just this past week. The preacher said this, we live in a day where God is speeding things up. What should have taken you a lifetime to accomplish because you honor God, he is gonna do in a fraction of the time. In your career, maybe it would have taken you 20 years to work up to that position. No, things have shifted. God's gonna give you breaks that you didn't deserve. He will bring the right people across your path. You're gonna see opportunity like you have never seen it before. He's gonna take you further, faster. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? Anybody not want that? No? I want it, right? But here's my question. Here's my question. What do I do when it doesn't happen? What do I do when it doesn't work out that way? What's going on when I follow God but my marriage falls apart? What's going on when I deserve that promotion but because I honor God I make a moral decision and I lose my job? What's going on when I follow God but I can't pay my mortgage and I'm forced to downside? What about when I pray consistently for years and God just doesn't seem to hear me? Or when wholeheartedly I pursue God but my kids don't? My kids run from him. Or what's going on when I pursue God and someone close to me dies? Why are there any Christian homeless people, sick people, poor people, single people, jobless people, and the list could go on and on and on and on and on. Like, why do people who pursue God seem to be suffering, I think, like never before? Why is that true? A couple of days ago, Heather and I were sitting at our little pub table that we've got that we read and journal, and like, out of the silence, sometimes Heather gets excited about things, and out of the silence, she says, wow. <laughs> it scared me a little bit, but I'm just kidding. It didn't. That was just a fact for the story. But. So she says, wow. 
this is amazing that we are blessed to have been born in the last days. And what I mean by last days is like biblically, by prophecy, there's nothing left that has to happen before the rapture could happen, before Jesus could return to the earth, right? All right, there's nothing left that has to happen. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know, but we've got to be ready for it, right? She says, it's amazing that we were blessed to be born in the last days. We could have been born at any other time in history, but God chose that we would be born now. What are we waiting for? It's go time, right? When Heather says it's go time, it means that she is about to do something. Like she's just ready to go. And, and so I sat there calmly, said, yep. If someday we have no home and live on the streets while persecuted, there's so much more to live for, right? Because that's a fear of mine, right? But then both of us agreed simultaneously that we just are going to pray every day that Jesus comes back before that happens or before our kids have to deal with that and everything because there's fear involved with that, right? But if someday we have to live on the streets and we're persecuted, there's so much more to live for. There's so many different ways to finish the following statement, right? If I follow God, then. Now you get where I'm going with this? I think there's a disconnect between what our culture says the results of following God should be, or being religious, or whatever it may be, and what the Bible actually says the results of following God will be, right? Because you could finish that statement, if I follow God like this, if I follow God, then I will be persecuted. If I follow God, then I will be wealthy. If I follow God, then I'll find favor with men. If I follow God, then the world will hate me. If I follow God, then my sorrows will be gone, right? Here's the problem with if I follow God statements. As soon as I make a if I follow God then statement, I have immediately in that moment made my faith in God more about me and I've taken the focus off of who God is, right? Because that's what the world's taught us. If you follow God, then you should get something that you can see and touch and feel, right? You should get something in return. At our core, the truth is that of, of that list I just read, the only ones that are promised in Scripture are the negative ones, right? So if I follow God, I will be persecuted. Well, Jesus said that, right? Uh, if I follow God, then the world will hate me. And he said, it's going to hate you because it hated me first. If you follow me, the world is going to hate you. What, what does it not say? It doesn't say, if you follow me, you'll be wealthy. It says, no, I'll give you everything that you need. I'll provide for you. Don't worry. And then what does Paul say? It says, with food and clothing, with that I'll be content. That's what Jesus meant. Is that in the midst of having a lot or little, having riches is not bad. But in the midst of having a lot or little, our perspective can be focused on God. And then it doesn't become about, if I follow God, then it becomes, God has already given me, so I'm going to follow God, right? The words of Matt Chandler from our explicit gospel study, he says, one, we think we are smarter than God, and two, we prefer creation over the creator. So essentially, and this is kind of what the world believes, is that we 
all, I think at our core, want God's stuff, but we don't want God, right? We want what he can provide for us, even though it may be emotionally, it may be physically, and all that stuff, but we just don't want to do the hard things that God asks us to do. We don't want to be with God. One time somebody asked me this, uh, and it really challenged my thinking, and they said, they said, if Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you still want to be there? I was like, that's a dumb question. Because yes, I'd want to be there. Of course I want to be in heaven. Because if my alternative is hell, I'd still want to be in heaven. But you get the point of the question. Is it about Jesus? Is it about pursuing a relationship with the God of the universe? Or is it about what I can get from him? Right? I wrote an article this last week. Um, for the Urbandale Living Magazine. It comes out July 2nd, so be looking for that if you live in Urbandale. But I entitled it, When God Doesn't Make Sense. When God Doesn't Make Sense. Quoted Isaiah 55, 8. In the New Living Translation, it says this. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. And then I wrote, I'm convinced that if I, as a human being with a finite mind, was able to understand all that an infinite God did, then he would not be a very powerful God. If I could understand God, a human being with a finite, limited mind, if I could understand God, that doesn't make him very powerful, does it? So I find some sort of strange comfort in the fact that I don't understand him sometimes. I don't understand what he does, I don't get what he does, and sometimes I don't like what he does. But I find comfort in that, because guess what? I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to get it all the time. I'm not supposed to understand it all the time. We feel this tension between the fact that following God's not glamorous, but if I follow God, I can have joy, I can have peace, whatever the situation is in my life. Like, do we get that? Do we get that? Following God is not about his stuff. Following God is about the relationship that he wants with us. It's a big deal. Depending on how we think about following God is really going to determine the outcome of hard situations in our lives. Because a hard situation can either drive us to God or it can drive us away from God. Riches Okay, can drive us to God in thankfulness or it can completely drive us away from God. See what I'm saying? In scripture, it says that Jesus came so that we could have life to the, what? To the full, right? But our culture has completely redefined what an abundant life looks like, right? I mean, we see a little bit of, of it in that clip, in that movie. But this morning I have two points. I'm breaking my own rule. I know, and it's just killing me. But two points, okay, but they're not independent of each other, so I had to do it, all right? Two points. Here's the deal. One, how do we do this? How, do we, how does our perspective change about how to follow God and what he owes us or doesn't owe us, okay? So here's number one. Pursue God with expectations to see his glory and not your success. Pursue God with expectations to see his glory, not your success. And number two is pursue God, not basing your faith on what he does, 
but on who he is. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Pursue God with expectations to see his glory, not your success. And number two, pursue God not basing your faith on what God does, but on who he is. All right? So Genesis chapter 6, I promised I'd catch us up this week because we were a little off track last week. So I'm not going to read all of Genesis 6 through 8 because that would just be torture uh, for everybody. But I would encourage you to go home and read Genesis 6 through 8, right? It's a, it's a, it's a great narrative. Um, I'm just going to read points of it so it's not going to be on the screen. Um, this is Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Make yourself, through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And then he describes for him exactly how to make the ark. And then in verse 17, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. And then down to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. And then chapter 7, over to verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Verse 22. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Beginning of uh, chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Then the verse 15, chapter 8, verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Come out from the ark, you and your wife, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is that is of flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. Then, this is key, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the, the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never again will I strike down every 
living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. All right, let's go back. Here's a few things I want to point out from this passage specifically. First of all, two weeks ago, Mark did a great job at painting the picture as to why the flood, why God had to bring about a worldwide flood to do what it said, wipe out every living thing that had breath on the planet. God's sin bucket was full. His holiness, get this, his holiness dictated that he had to deal with the sin of man. He had to pour out his wrath, but his grace was poured out on Noah because of Noah's faith. Okay, I want you to turn real quick to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 and 7. Hebrews 11, 6 and 7 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith is the absolute key when you can't see or you can't understand what God is doing. Right? He does not call us to understand what he's doing. I'm sure Noah had some doubts in his mind. Like, really? God, really? Is this really the best way to do things? Right? I would have. Everybody I ever knew, right? Even though they did not follow God, everybody I ever knew was about to get wiped out by a worldwide flood. I would have had doubts with that. But we also see from this passage, when God answers a prayer, when God makes a promise, he always, he always, always, always gives us the tools to carry out or to live within his promise. First Peter says, it says, we have been given everything we need to live godly lives, right? God has called us to live godly lives, but he also hasn't left us alone. He's given us every single tool we need to live those godly lives, right? Like, do we believe that? Do you believe that? One person. That's good. It's nice. But here's the deal. We often, we get impatient and we get anxious, so what do we do? We take the results of what we think God has asked us to do into our own hands. We expedite our own timeline. We try to help God out, right, by figuring it out ourselves. But what did Noah have to do? All he had to do was what? Obey. See, God gave him the specifications for the ark. God said, I want you to bring all these animals into the ark, and then God brought them to him. God gave him all the tools, but what if Noah hadn't obeyed? What if Noah was like everybody else and said, eh, no, <laughs> ain't going to happen, right? Hey, I'm, or I'm not spending 120 years making a stinking ark, right? goes on to talk about God says to Noah, I will make my covenant with you. Okay, I remember um, Christmas time, I was helping my neighbor put up some lights and he had been reading his Bible, 
uh, which was awesome. And he says to me, okay, I got questions for you. And so it was like this 45 minutes of like, oh, Lord, please help me say the right thing. So he asked me, okay, so I'm reading my Bible, and there's covenants. Like, what in the world are covenants? I was, thanks, Lord. Thanks for that. Covenants? Really? He's asking about covenants. And so um, what are these covenant things? But it turned out that I was able to, through that, share the gospel with him because we are living in the what? The new covenant, right? And there's covenants all throughout the Bible. It could be confusing as all get out, right? But in the Bible, there are conditional covenants. Conditional covenant would be God saying to his people, do this. All right, I want you to do this. If you do that, then I promise I will do this, right? So I promise I'll do this, but you have to do something. And if you don't do it, then I'm free from my side of the covenant, right? Happened with the nation of Israel all the time, right? And so there's also unconditional covenants, which this one is, where he says, no matter what, Right? No matter what, I will, and what was his covenant with, uh, with Noah? That he's going to multiply on the earth, but more importantly is I will never, ever, ever end the earth and all flesh on it by a flood. I'm thankful for that. I hope you're thankful for that. And then here's the keyest point here. What was Noah's response? What did he do? As soon as he got off the ark, what did Noah do? What, say that loudly. He built an altar. He worshipped God. He made an altar. He gave, a, he gave an offering on it. And then, this is awesome. When God smelled the pleasing aroma of that altar, he said, here's my promise. When God smelled the pleasing aroma of that altar, he revealed his promise. I love that. Here's the deal. We don't always understand the order of God's plans or his timing, and then when God's plans do happen, we always don't understand his plans. We may suffer in the midst of those plans, or we may be blessed in the midst of those plans. But if God's plan is perfect, then we need to follow it no matter what happens along the way. No matter what happens along the way. Because what did Tim talk about a few weeks ago? What does Satan do to us? He consistently, he's the father of all what? lies. Satan wants nothing else to derail your faith. That's all he wants to do. He wants to, he, he, he walks around seeking whom he may devour, right? And God's just saying, hey, listen, you're not going to understand me. If you did understand me, I wouldn't be very powerful. You're not meant to understand me. You're meant to pursue me. You're meant to obey even when you can't see the results of it, right? Because God's plan is always best. That goes back to number two. Pursue God, not basing your faith on what God does, but on who he is. Because if I went through my life always basing my faith on what God did, my faith would be fairly weak, right? Because what God does does not make sense to me all the time. My faith would be weak. But if in the midst of stuff that doesn't make sense to me, if I could say, no, 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 Bottom line is, God, I trust you no matter what. I trust that your way is best. I trust that your way is best. I trust that your way is best. Then I can go through things I don't understand with joy because I am a child of, what does that song say? I'm a child of the one true king. I love it. So I just want to give you some examples from scripture that didn't really work out like Noah. Okay, There's people in scripture that followed God 
and it didn't really work out, these kind of put that thought that culture puts, this, puts, us, puts in us, if I follow God or if I'm religious, then God should give me something back. Then I should receive something back from God. So God becomes our errand boy, right? That's not the way he is. It's not what he wants. It's not what he wants from us. It's not the kind of relationship he wants. So, Job chapter 1. I love this. In Job chapter 1, Satan is roaming the earth looking for someone to devour, right? And so he comes before God and God asks him, what have you been doing? And he says, I've just been going around looking for someone to destroy, right? And so God doesn't say, no, you can't do that, right? What does he say? He says, have you considered destroying Job. And then what does he say? Because he is the most righteous man on earth, right? <laughs> How does that make sense? Be like, really, God? Like I've said this before, but sometimes maybe we don't want to know the reasons why things happen. Because it would have been like, God, I lost everything. God, why? 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 Because you're the most righteous man on earth. What? That'd make me angry, right? So God, Satan says to him, well, you know what, God, you've put a hedge around Job. You've given him riches. You've given him a great family. You've given him cattle. You've given, I know that doesn't light our fire, but you've given him earthly wealth. Let's see what happens when I take it away, right? So God says, all right, go for it. So Job, who was rich, had many resources and all this stuff. In the end, he's sitting in a pile of ashes, what once was his earthly possessions, scraping his sores on his body with a piece of pottery because he was righteous. Right? It doesn't make sense. Because he was righteous, he lost everything. But because he was faithful, in the midst of losing everything, God restored it all to him, right? Faith, faithfulness in the midst of hardship is the key. Abraham, he was promised an heir. He was promised that his descendants would number the sand on the shore, okay? So he was given a son in his old age, right? They, they, they were like, God, I'm getting old. This is not going to happen. He was given a son in his old age. And then, well, I just learned this for the first time this morning in the first service. He was, that Isaac was not, Jimmy said this, that Isaac was not, his son Isaac was not this little boy, right? He was 30 years old, right? I can whoop my dad right now, right? There was a time when I could not take my dad. He's got old man strength, right? All right? But I can, right now, Hey, no way he's putting me on an altar and sacrificing me because I'm going to whoop him. Be like, Dad, it's not going to happen. 30 years old, and what does Isaac say? He's like, all right, I'm willing to do it. So he gets put on the altar. And Abraham's about to sacrifice his own son that, hey, God, you promised me that my descendants would number the sand on the sea. If I kill him, how are you going to accomplish that, right? That's what I would have been like. He goes to sacrifice his own son because of his faith that God would come through on his promise. He's about to sacrifice his son. And then God says, all right, wait. And then he provides a sacrificial ram to take his place, right? Sound familiar? I heard a message recently called Don't Stop on Six, okay? And it was all about what if the nation of Israel, okay, there's a story of 
the Battle of Jericho. There's a song, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Jer- I'm just kidding. You know, I'm just that. Um, what if they had stopped after six times around the wall? Like, this is, this is crazy, God. Six times we've been around this wall. I'm tired. I'm hungry. This ain't going to happen. This is dumb. What if they stopped on six, right? Nothing would have happened. They would not have taken over Jericho. They probably would have been defeated for disobedience to God. And God, God said, no, I want you to finish it. I want you to go all the way to seven, and then I want you to scream like nutso, people, and we're going to blow some trumpets. And when that happens, the walls are just going to fall down, right? That's beyond human ability. That's beyond what should be able to happen, right? But what if they stopped on six? And I think that oftentimes we do that. What we need to do is we need to continue in obedience even when life gets to number six. When it's like, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't pursue anymore. I can't go anymore. My my cup is not half full, it's half empty, or it's completely empty. I just can't do this anymore. And God said, just go to seven. Just go to seven, because you know what the deal is? Seven might be tomorrow. Seven might not be in your lifetime. I don't know. But don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop being faithful to God. Our pursuit of God may not, it might, but it may not always produce what we think it should or when we think it should. So, if that's all true, right, it doesn't always happen the way we want it to. It happened for Noah. He was faithful. God provided for him. He saved him from the flood. Job was faithful and God took everything from him. Abraham was faithful when he had no idea what God's plan was to fulfill his promise, right? But God remembered his promises for them. And God remembers us. So we've got to shift from what we talked about last week, that this becomes training grounds so that we can go out into the world and live a life faithful to God even when the world is every single day pointing us in the wrong direction. So how do we shift from follow God and he'll give me all of this. So I'm going to follow God even when I don't understand him, even when life stinks, even when it's falling apart, and I can't see a good end to my situation. I'm going to follow him. And I'm also going to follow him when life is really good, and I'm tempted to say that I don't need him, right? Because it goes both ways. Pursue God, pursue God, pursue God. Number one, pursue God with expectations to see his glory, not your success. Number two, pursue God not basing your faith on what God does, but on who he is. God remembers our cries. He remembers his promises. This is why scripture calls us to persevere, right? To run, what is this, the Christian life? What is it? It's a race, right? To run it to the end and to run it well, right? Heaven is our reward and we will be rewarded in heaven. 
But here's the deal. This is why this is hard. Because we might not be rewarded the way we think we should be on earth. You might follow God your entire life and your life is hard. You might be persecuted. I mean, there's people, plenty of people other places in the world we know from the news that are suffering, that are dying for Jesus. And, and, and they're, what are they thinking, right? So there is so much more to following Jesus than what we can experience or get here on earth. What, what do we pray? We pray, God, give us peace beyond what? Understanding. Beyond understanding. It's not of me, right? We have an opportunity now. The band, you guys can make your way back up here. But we have an opportunity to remember Jesus because God remembers our tears. He remembers our fears. He remembers our cries for help. He hears it all. He knows our desires. He is a personal father. But you know what's super cool? In the midst of the fact that God remembers, what does he forget? Say that loudly. Our sin. That's amazing. Right? Then in the midst of life, God forgets all of my sin. Truth is that that thought that God remembers his faithfulness to me, that he will never fail. Love never ends. Love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13. It never, ever fails. But in the midst of that, that should give us some hope and urgency at the same time because here's the deal. For those who are saved through faith in Jesus, he forgets our sins. I mean, the Bible says that he wipes them away. He removes them from us as far as... The east is from the west, okay? If you look at a, a map, that's as far as you can go away from each other before you start getting closer, right? Just to clarify. That is, you can't get any further away than that. As far as the east is from the west, and it just keeps going, okay? But, and this is where the urgency comes in. And, and, and feeling this urgency gives me even more gratitude and thankfulness for the Lord because I, I know that I was once in this position because for those who have not come to Jesus, guess what? He remembers their sin. And his holiness says that his wrath has to be poured out on them. So much like in the flood, wrath has to be poured out on sin. If it wasn't, God wouldn't be holy anymore right that's that's part of who he is but in his grace and his mercy he gave Jesus so that when we come to Jesus for salvation when we when we believe that his blood is the final sacrifice for our sin he forgets it he forgets our past our present and our future sins and he completely wipes them away man I'm thankful for that Right? You thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. That's, I mean, it sounds elementary, but no shame, no guilt, none of that left because he's forgotten about it. You know, sometimes when I yell at my kids, I feel horrible after it, and I constantly find myself praying, Lord, you've forgotten my sin. Help me to forgive myself. You've forgiven me. Help me to forgive myself. You've forgiven me. Help me. Because what do we do? We hold on to the guilt and the shame that our sin brings, right? 
Some of that is, is a consequence, is an earthly consequence, but on the spiritual plane, if he forgets my sin, in grace, I should be able to stand back up and keep on going. I love that. So we're going to take communion, and there's going to be two stations up here and one in the back like normal, and I want you to think about these two points. That Jesus, you forget my sin, and so I want to pursue you for the glory of God, and I trust in who you are, even when I don't understand what you do. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus in the room today, if you don't have a, a a personal relationship with him saved by his blood. Today's the day of salvation. I pray for you all the time that you would come to salvation in Christ and it's like you don't have to know everything. You just have to know that he wants to wipe away all your sins. Okay, so watch what happens here this morning as we remember Jesus, okay? His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. Watch what happens as we do that. God, I just, I thank you that you are a personal God. I thank you that you are faithful even when we can't understand what's going on. I thank you that you are faithful beyond our ability to understand and that makes you a powerful God. That makes you a God worth trusting in and I'm so thankful for that. Father, you forget our sins. You remember our cries for help. You are faithful to us, God. I pray that we would be faithful to you. Thank you that we can just be here together and remember Jesus. Thank you that Jesus was obedient to death on a cross for us. So in these moments, God, we just give you our hearts. We rest in your grace. We rest in your peace. No matter what's going on in life, if we are joyful or if we're hurting, we want to meet you here. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's worship together. our challenge for this week every time life gets too hard to handle we need to worship that's all I gotta say because if we pursue God with expectations for his glory and not our own success and we pursue God because of who he is not basing our faith on what he does but on who he is every time you have reason to be joyful, worship, okay? Your knees might be bleeding by the time you're done, but get on your knees and worship. Every time life is not going in a place where you understand, life is hard, come to him and worship. Because worship puts everything into perspective. Worship is always the right reaction. Like the sinner who beat his chest and said, God, I am not deserving of your grace. You are God alone. I don't deserve this. Right? To when life is joyful and we have reason to scream out to him in joy, we worship. So worship in every moment. What that looks like, I don't know. Maybe you're screaming at the top of your lungs in your car. Maybe you're singing like that weird guy at the stoplight. I don't know, right? But unashamedly worship. Maybe you're crying out to him on your knees. We worship. So I just want to sing to end. I want to I sing that chorus again. Boldly I approach the throne.
It's because of his grace. It's because of his mercy. Boldly I approach the throne.